We've got a new episode of Swings and Mishes coming up. For almost 50 years, all year cooling has been the place that keeps all of South Florida cool. Listen, you know, living here in South Florida, summer is coming, and you do not want to wait to have your system checked. You do not want to wait to replace your unit. You know how this goes. It gets very hot here, basically from the end of April into May and all the way through the summer into the fall. To give you an idea, 10 years ago, I called Tommy Smith at All Year. He is the owner. He's been the owner, he and his family, for decades. And I purchased a new unit from them. And here we are, 10 years later, I've had absolutely zero issues, and they have the best customer service of any air conditioning company I've ever used. In fact, I think I may have called Tommy twice personally in 10 years. I needed some help. And within the hour, they're at my house. They show up very professional they do a great job and then i'm good to go for months and months and years they're incredible in fact if you schedule a new unit installed before the afternoon they will come and put a new unit in your house in the same day no one in south florida can guarantee that they offer up to 60 month financing and remember i personally use all year cooling and tommy has been a personal friend of mine for over 10 years you call him you let him know you want a cool unit in your house this summer don't wait till june till it breaks down you have to do it now call 866-381-3554 or while you're listening to this podcast take your phone out go to their website allyearcooling.com click on the call now button you'll get connected directly to them and by the way my friend the owner tommy smith you can text him directly from your phone from the website right now and he'll set you up all year cooling is my personal place to go they keep my home cool they keep my family cool for more than a decade the number again 866-381-3554 hello mlb fans and welcome to a draft recap special of swings and mishes here on the Miami Marlins, uh, I'm your producer, Jeremy Taché, joined by Craig Mish, who is chock full of information this morning. We're very excited uh, to get to you, the fans listening to this show. Uh, if you haven't already, feel free to subscribe to our podcast if you are here now for the first time. Uh, be sure to follow us on all social media. Uh, that being said, Craig, how's it going this morning as the Marlins are on a tear and apparently had a really good draft? Well, yeah, Jeremy, and I would say that maybe for, I mean, I think we're, we've done a lot of episodes here, but I think that this may be the most, your favorite, because the most positive episode that we've had hey, hey. On, uh, on the Marlins. If you're looking for a negative episode on the Marlins, go back about three episodes ago, and, <laughs> and you can replay that one, yeah. where I basically said that this was an embarrassment, and, and right. everything was, uh, and they weren't hitting, and you know, how did they think that this would be okay? And, and that was, and that was fun. Yeah. Ever since look, then, uh, and, and then the tweets in Spanish, everything is completely turned around. So. Yeah. 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 And look, look, here's the reality of, uh, of, of the situation here. I never start off a podcast with a congratulations, but the Marlins do deserve some congratulations after the way that they performed mm-hmm. on the field. And also they performed in the draft and it is really, I, I think incredible that a couple of guys have stepped in and stepped into the Marlins organization 
and have and may have had produced one of the best drafts that I would say uh, historically that they've ever had. Now, that being said, before we dive into this, I do want to be clear on something. Uh, Stan Meek, who did the job that DJ Spillick did for many years, also produced several great players in Major League Baseball, okay? Yeah. Stan Meek is responsible for previous drafts that did bring in Giancarlo Stanton and did bring in Christian Yelich and did bring in JT Real Muto and a lot of great players. But that being said, the last few years of his tenure definitely, I believe, called for a change, and clearly they made the right change with DJ Svillick. But it is my understanding also that even with DJ Svillick running the operation in terms of the amateur draft scouting, there are a lot of other people who are going to deserve credit. And honestly, their names need to be heard as well. Uh, Eric Valent, Marty Wolver are, are two other guys who are very heavily involved in the draft process. And when you start to hear accolades coming from around the league and different people talking about how well the Marlins have done, I don't think it's a big secret that it's just a new time and a new vision. And, and clearly you're starting to see some trends, how the Marlins view some players, both collegiate and high school, right. uh, kids in the Southeast. Uh, there's just so much that I have, honestly, to get yeah. to on the podcast. I really don't know where to begin, but there's just a different – this is like one of those times where when the Marlins say things like like it's first class and there's accountability, like, like those things are somewhat tangible. But then when you see the, the recognition coming in across the league, mm. outside of the things that I see covering the team every day, I think that's when the dynamic starts to really change because then you're starting to get national recognition as well. And all of the people who have just been basically crapping on the Marlins for the past decade or so, when they start to jump on board too, uh, I, I know internally they'll say, well, you know, it really doesn't matter. We just believe in what we believe here. But look, it, it has to burn a little bit when people are saying things about you. I, I just don't care. I mean, it, it has to. I mean, when people say things about me publicly, I may not say anything, but obviously internally I'm thinking, man, I wish that wouldn't be said. So we'll start off, Jeremy, by saying it looks like the draft was a success. Mm -hmm. The players will have to play. They'll have to win a championship. They'll have to make postseasons. They'll have to develop these kids. That's for sure. But at the very least, supremely optimistic, I think would be the word that you'd have to use uh, from all around Major League Baseball. And by the way, the people that know way more than I do about this, but on the podcast today, what I'll do is I'll share my thoughts as to uh, how people feel about the Marlins draft and also how the Marlins feel about the players they got. And this will be information that you haven't heard before as we go. And I'll kind of, uh, you know, dive in as much as I can on that. Well, and as we get started, it's like you mentioned. I mean, John Heyman sent out a tweet. He said that one scout's view was that in the first 10 rounds, the best drafts went Yankees, Diamondbacks, Marlins. Marlins number three. I mean, right there, right off the bat. Jim Bowden tweeted out that he said the Marlins had the best draft of all 30 teams at the end of it. And he, he said a special mention to the Tigers, D-backs, Rays, and Yankees. But we don't have to get into that. It's that the Marlins had the best draft of all 30 teams. And I guess with you, where we can start right off the top, we can start, you know, you mentioned the SEC with J.J. Bladé, who was the fourth overall pick. Uh, and then we could talk about Cameron Meisner out of Missouri. I mean, Bladé was a Golden Spikes Award finalist. For those of you who don't know, that's for the best player in all of college baseball. Uh, he's a 6'3", 205-pound bat, an outfielder, uh, supremely athletic. This year, he's hitting 
as they're still playing in the College World Series, mind you, so you can watch them this weekend. 352, 26 homers, 68 RBIs, a 1,206 OPS. I mean, the guy rakes, uh, and his swing is beautiful. And then there's Cameron Meisner, who's another guy of a similar build, and he hit 286 this year with a 921 OPS. And Baseball America, in his scouting report, called him a five-tool player. So you've got those two guys. Do you have any thoughts on, on Blade and or uh, Cameron Meisner? Sure. And, and, I, and I think we could start with Blade. I think everyone knows who he is by now. So we'll only spend a little bit of time on him because most of the scouting reports are out there and, it's, and he's been discussed so much. Uh, I think that what we're seeing also is more of an emphasis in the Southeast in terms of where the Marlins are scouting also. I think that's pretty obvious based on some of the guys they have taken and they have scouted which I find interesting as well. In the past, what they would do is, is kind of go to the Oklahoma, Texas uh, type area. Nothing wrong with that. It's just that was, it seemed to be a lot of kids were coming from there. Southeast obviously produces the Southeastern Conference, Jeremy. So mm-hmm. uh, a big difference there. Lede will, I would, I would guess, start off the season in Jupiter next year, provided that he gets on this kind of fast track to the big leagues, which I would expect in probably two or three years. But I, I, would, I would think that he'll be a corner outfielder for the Marlins. Uh, Jupiter Hammerheads at the start of the 2020 season once he gets signed and the Vanderbilt uh, season is over. In terms of Meisner, uh, Meisner was somebody who slipped a little bit in the draft. They felt really good about him. Uh, I do think that, and, and this is no indictment on Meisner at all, I do think that their first pick and their third pick, they may be, oh boy, like I don't want to say, uh, you know, knock down Meisner at all, but I, I think that the, the true real excitement is the first and third selections Mm. that they made in this draft only because I believe Meisner's a little bit more of a project and could take a little bit longer to get to the major leagues of course he struggled uh, you know a little bit more this year than some other people thought but they felt like that was a great I would say value pick at that point but uh, Blade it looks like the Marlins wanted more than uh, him than they wanted Vaughn Right. I don't know if Mike Hill slipped up there in the, in the press conference, but he definitely said that a collective cheer went out when Vaughn was off the board and they knew they were going to get Blade. Now, I followed up by asking publicly there if that indeed was the case, and you know, Mike sidestepped mm-hmm. that. That's what he's going to do. But it, it does seem to be that way. I'll only infer it. I don't know that it's fact, that the Marlins wanted Blade more than they wanted Vaughn. And so, and so that's the first two picks, Jeremy. And then, as you know, the third pick – right. Nunez, uh, the high school kid that they ended up taking, that was a pick that I knew that they were going to end up targeting and taking him probably like 30 or 40 minutes before they took him. Mm -hmm. Uh, But you do have to kind of be careful with this day and age of social media and putting things out there. You never know how that's going to go. So strategically, to take you behind the curtain, I just waited a while until it got, you know, real close at that point. I realized at that point that that's who the Marlins are going to take. So here's the deal with, with Nunez. Somebody did text me a Lindor comp, okay? But not a direct comp, meaning that he's going to be Francisco Lindor, but meaning that some of the skills that he has and he possesses can be that. I know that the Marlins in the first round had uh, Greg Jones Jr. from North Carolina Wilmington, had he slipped all the way to the second round, I think they would have taken him there, and I think they were secretly hoping that that was going to happen. But it was really evident early on in the day and, and going into the night that there was no way this kid was going to get to the second round. Maybe that was a conversation, Jeremy, for a couple of weeks ago. 
Right. So when the Marlins basically pivoted at that point, and that's not to say that Nunez was a second choice. It's just the reality of a draft. When you know you're not going to get a player, you have to focus on somebody else. This was a player that they really wanted. I believe they're going to go over slot on this kid, and he will get signed. That I'm sure about. He will get signed. He will end up playing for the Marlins. But the way that he's being described is, is basically, they, I think they feel maybe better about him than anybody else in the draft outside of Blade. I really do. I think there's a chance of that. I also know that character and makeup for this kid and enthusiasm, as they've talked about, that he has for the game is something that you can't really put a finger on because you really don't know, but this is a big part of what the Marlins are trying to develop that as well. So that doesn't take away anything from his talent. It's just that this is a high character, high ceiling type player that they're willing to cultivate and build through the minor leagues. And so I, I think Nunez, Jeremy, is going to be one of those guys that we really have to watch because I, 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 the Marlins were just supremely happy when they had an opportunity to take him. And yeah, they're going to have to pay him a little bit more money to avoid college. Yeah, and and like we've uh, already heard, it, it's all going to be about whether or not his bat comes around because MLB Pipeline says Gold Glove upside. I mean, the kid's supposed to be a, a wizard defensively. Uh, moving down the draft, there are a few other names that you and I talked about before the show that that we wanted to hit on here that you had some some interesting information on. So I'm just going to move down in terms of selections. Uh, Evan Fitterer, he's a right-handed pitcher out of Aliso Niguel High School in California. He's 6'3", 195 pounds. Just some stats in high school, because why not? 9-1, ERA. So <laughs> clearly the kid was dominant in high school. But what, what I found most interesting about this selection is that e everyone seems to feel like he, he went 141st overall. That was in the fifth round. Baseball America had him as the number 60 prospect in the entire draft. So what are you hearing about the, the opportunity to sign a kid like Fitterer, who was a UCLA commit? Yeah, I'm told, uh, Jeremy, that they will sign Fitterer. In fact, they will sign everyone they drafted, uh, from what I understand, in the first two days of the draft, which is really incredible. Now, again, wow. they only had a handful of, of high school kids in this entire draft that were taken, but there is no question about Federer signing with Miami. He's going to be on the Marlins. So again, a player that they'll probably have to overpay uh, on the slot bonus for. You could go up to 5% before you get some penalties. And so the Marlins are probably going to have to take that right up to the top. But again, uh, good news for Miami. Now, I don't know a lot about a kid that played in high school in California, honestly. <laughs> That's the job of the Marlins to do. But naturally, when you see a player taken outside of the first, second, or third round, and then you start to look at him, you have to question the ability to sign the player. But from what I understand, Jeremy, there is no doubt that Miami's going to end up with Fitterer on their roster, so we have to pay uh, close attention to him. Also, uh, Peyton Burdick, the outfielder that they took from Wright State, they're also very high on, and I think that that was one of the better picks as well. And then the final pick in the, in the second day that the Marlins really liked was J.D. Orr, mm -hmm. the left-handed outfielder who played for Wright State. The Marlins took two players, actually, from Wright State. And, and this is what scouting is about. When you're, maybe when they're scouting a Burdick, they end up seeing Orr, or when they're, when they're scouting Orr, they end up seeing Burdick. I, I don't know how that worked, but I'm sure that that had to play somewhat of a factor. Sometimes you find an extra player when you're scouting one. But the comp that I've heard for Orr, is uh, Brett Gardner 
of the New York Yankees. So a player with a little bit of pop, somebody who could play good defense anywhere on the field, also has a ton of speed, as you know, and, yeah. and we'll talk about that as well. But uh, the names that I've mentioned to you here on this podcast, in my opinion, are the ones that have been uh, sort of transferred to me in terms of, wow, we got those players. So uh, not a necessarily indictment on any of the other players that they took, but there is a higher level, I think, of excitement that they were that they were able to land the players that I just discussed in the first two days of the draft. Well, and with JD or I mean, what you mentioned in terms of speed, it's it's not an understatement. He led all of college baseball in stolen bases. He had sixty steals in fifty nine games. So think about that for a second. This is a guy who walked fifty four times in fifty nine games. He had seventy five hits, so he was hitting three twenty six. And he stole 60 bases. So you have a left-handed bat like that that can just sort of put the ball on the ground and run uh, and has been, through all scouting reports, uh, mentioned as a plus defender. So you have someone like that out there. And it's a lot of positivity through those first 10 rounds. We mentioned before that Heyman said through the first 10 rounds, the Marlins were right there in the top three of all teams. One guy outside of those top 10 rounds that, that we were discussing pre-show, though, was Chris Machma. Now, he's another right-handed pitching prospect out of high school. He was a Michigan State commit. Uh, he's from Missouri. Uh, just the measurables, he's 6'4", 190 pounds. He tops out at 94 miles an hour. So he's a kid with a big arm out of high school. And again, statistically, 8-0, 1-2-4 ERA. I mean, these are the types of guys that dominate in high school. Um, but what are you hearing about the Marlins in terms of their positivity around this kid who was taken outside of the top 10 rounds? Yeah, well, well, this will be, a, I would assume, a little bit of a tougher player to sign because, again, as you mentioned, he's a high school player that, in, in general, on the third day of, of the draft, high school players usually are not quite as talented or some have just huge price tags in order to not take their commitment. So I'm not really sure where Makma fits in in terms of that. But what I do know and I found it interesting is that I'm a very good reader of these press conferences I've been and, and conference calls. I've been doing this for 20 years. Okay, So uh, for at the end of our uh, conference call on Wednesday night, DJ Svilik went out of his way, Jeremy, to mention Makma. And I would find it extremely hard to believe that at the end of a conference call, right before we go off, he asked to speak about a player that the Marlins are not going to sign. Right. So I, I'm not, <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't, it, it, I mean, to me, I, I, I would assume that the reason why you would bring him up is because either one of two things, one, you want people like me to tweet about the kid and, and say how happy they were to get him. And maybe it's a borderline type thing. And that pushes it across the top to see, to see his name on Twitter, to see his name in print somewhere saying that the Marlins really like him a lot and DJ Spillick went out of his way. That's reason number one. Or reason right. number two is, is that they know that they're going to sign him and, and that he wanted to be sure that everybody knew that. So, I'm, I, you know, I don't really know the answer to that. I guess this weekend when the Marlins play the Braves, I'll, I'll dive a little bit deeper into that. And I didn't really go uh, any further in terms of my questioning on him because, Jeremy, to be honest, so few players make the big leagues in general from the draft to do a deep dive beyond round 10 is not really something that I'm going to do. Because to be honest, a lot of the kids that they took in the, in the third day and on the third day, I mean, these are like short season players from college right. that are going to end up just kind of filling out the organization. So I think I gave you most of the names, Jeremy, in terms of the draft, the, the big pieces of information that you should take away from this. 
is that everybody that the Marlins took in the first and second day of the draft are going to get signed. Hmm. Okay, so let me say that again. Every player the Marlins took in the first or second day are being signed. The signability is not a question, so that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing is, without a doubt, Blade, without a doubt, Nunez, verdict to a degree, Federer they like a lot because they're going to have to overpay for him a little bit, or is, is the 10th round pick who you want to keep an eye on, and then anybody from the third day will just have to watch their development, but Makma is clearly the guy to watch because if the scouting director is going to go out of his way to talk about him, there must be something more to that than just what meets the eye. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I, real, real good job, at least on the surface, for what Miami did and what the Marlins did. But as I talked about in the opening of the podcast, as we kind of a bid farewell to the Stan Meek era, Stan has, has definitely taken a lot of heat for the last few drafts that, that he's been a part of, and for good reason. A lot, they really have had a lot of players that haven't worked out. But the truth is with this is that Mike Hill, who I've known for – 20 years or close to it. Mm-hmm. I have never seen Mike this happy. I have never seen uh, Mike this determined or excited about having a direction going into the draft and the organization just basically following along with what their plan was. No deviation, no phone calls the night before to Mike Hill saying, don't take the guy that you planned on taking, take this guy instead, because that happened. So, and that to me says a lot, because regardless of the job that you think that Mike has done here over the past two decades, for him to feel this way and to really just basically have an experience like he's almost never experienced before with a direction that is determined before a draft that is executed the way that it's supposed to, you would think that that's normal in every major league baseball organization, but it hasn't been in the Marlins, and this may be the first time. So I feel good for my kill as well. It's a really good time to be a Miami Marlins fan. I mean, it really is. It's, it's this very strange thing where we just talked about how a few weeks ago we were on this podcast sort of burying everything. I mean, it, it, the season was going downhill. We were feeling uh, it was impossible to watch games. It was after the back-to-back shutouts against the Tampa Bay Rays at home. And we were just, it was hard to watch. And since then, not only have the Marlins had this incredible draft, but they also have gone on a tear. They're basically the 27 Yankees. I'm saying it just right there. I mean, offensively, what a juggernaut. <laughs> they've scored. Yeah, they've played great. <laughs> they've scored. By, by the way, real quick, I forgot to mention yeah. one thing that I have here in my notes. I want to go back to something because I didn't mention uh, uh, Gary Denbo uh, in, in any of our draft conversation. But is my understanding, by the way, that Orr, the kid from Wright State, was somebody that Gary Denbo liked a lot as well. So I, I, I know that uh, you know, I didn't mention that here in the first 15 minutes, and I'm sorry to get us completely off track, but I want to use every little piece of notes that yeah, I have here. Well. And I didn't use that, and I feel bad about that. So let me, uh, let me say that, that uh, Gary was very big on, uh, on Orr, the kid from Wright State. Well, and, af- and after today, after today, and I mean, this is not stuff that, that we're going to need to put back out there. So empty, empty the uh, – Got to let bag. it all go. Yeah, empty the bag, Dwayne Wade style. Just empty the uh, – <laughs> Father Prime, empty the bag. Uh, but, yeah, if there's anything else that you think of in the middle of this other conversation, feel free to just jump in. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's hey, not I normal for me. That's not normal it. for me. But, I, but I, if I don't get it out there now, it's going to be too late at the end. But, right. Uh, no, but the big league team. Okay. So the big league team, right? That's where <laughs> yeah. we're moving to? Yeah, let's oh. move. 
okay. I, I've been a big proponent of only talking about the big league team because it is a major league baseball franchise. And, you know, honestly, the whole minor league system and, and, and these one or two players that they have, they're doing well. And yeah, while everything's going bad at the big league level, that was a few podcasts ago uh, where, where I was just like, so just sick and tired of hearing about anything when I'm sitting there covering major league baseball. It's, it's, uh, it was tough, but I find it really interesting, Jeremy, here's, you know, something that was said to me uh, by JT Real Muto, um, I don't know if it was last year or the year before, was that, that sometimes players in Marlins Park offensively know that they need to do a little bit more mm. in order to succeed and could be accused of trying too hard because it is hard to hit a home run there. It is hard to manufacture runs. And, and I don't think that that's the reason all of a sudden that Miami's offense has been the best in baseball in June. Like, I, I don't think that that's the reason, but it's definitely worth a conversation, I think, because they have just gone into Milwaukee and crushed the ball. They went into Petco and crushed the ball. They hit well enough in Detroit and swept them too. And so it does make me wonder a little bit and say to myself, you know, maybe when these guys are at home, they're not as comfortable offensively because they're trying to do too much. Now I would have to pull every player in that clubhouse and ask them if that is indeed the case, which I have not done. So I don't know the answer to that, but I do think that there is some sort of mental game going on when, when they're in that park and they know they have to do a little bit more because in Miller park, Jeremy, over the last couple of days, I mean, they have just set the world on fire with this offense. The credit for sure is the call-up of Harold Ramirez mm. and the emergence of Garrett Cooper. Those two players have, have basically joined a lineup where Don Mattingly two weeks ago said they, didn't, they really didn't have the talent, and now they do. They have two players who are hitting at a high level on a consistent basis. But it is not just them. Basically, the rest of the lineup, including Brian Anderson, are hitting as well. So let's also go back to when the Marlins made a coaching change and uh, parted ways with Mike Pagliarulo and brought in Eric Duncan. And Jeff Livesey ended up being the main hitting coach at that time. Is that the reason why all of a sudden this is happening? Again, there, there could be several factors. I think probably the most important one, Jeremy, is the call-up of Ramirez mm -hmm. and, the, and, and Cooper just kind of coming into his own. I think that's a huge part of it because it allows the rest of the lineup to not have to do too much. Right. But, but there's so many – baseball's just so funny like that where you just think your team is, is great and then they're not. You think your team is bad and then they're good. But how, how can anybody, after seeing what's been going on, not go to a Marlins game, you know? Right. Like, they, they're going to play the Braves Friday, Saturday, Sunday – and then they got the Cardinals next week. And, and I'm wondering from an organizational standpoint, after the way they've played, what these crowds are going to look like. I haven't thought that in a while, you know? Like, I'm not one of those guys who takes the pictures of the crowd and says, oh, my gosh, there's nobody here. Like, that's not me. But I am curious, Friday and Saturday, Jeremy, I am curious after the way that they've played to see if people are paying attention right. and buying in a little bit more because that series against the Mets, they did bring in some pretty good crowds, 15,000, 14,000, and that was when the Marlins were at rock bottom 
So I'm going to keep an eye on that this weekend. I'm curious to see that, to see if fans are going to rally around this, because if you've been waiting for them to prove something to you, they certainly have done that over the last couple of weeks. Well, and not only are they proving it, but they're, they're a fun team while they're doing it too. Like that, that's what I think has been so, I mean, not to say fun to watch, but what's been so fun to watch is the obvious camaraderie. One of my favorite moments of this entire stretch was uh, after Garrett Cooper I, ironically, uh, Mike Hill's on the broadcast of the game, uh, recapping the first few picks with Paul Severino and, and, and Hollinsworth on the, uh, on the broadcast. Garrett Cooper hits an absolute mammoth of a home run, and there's a cutaway to Jorge Alfaro, who is just mind-blown by the homer and with a huge smile on his face. And you could just see that these guys are feeding off of each other. I mean, it's no coincidence that Alfaro has gotten hot as – Number one, he's moved down in the order, so there's a little less pressure. But as guys like you mentioned, Ramirez and Cooper have heated up, that Brian Anderson, who's now smack dab between those two hitters, who has protection in front of him and behind him, uh, is started to heat up. And so it's like you mentioned, there's no better time to come out to the ballpark than right now to watch this team that's in the midst of, you know, one of their best stretches in actually a really long time in franchise history to score eight runs four games in a row, that's only happened a handful of times. So, so to see this offense breaking out the way they have and the pitching has remained consistent. I mean, that's the part that through all of this, we've all barely talked about when we are discussing it. it it's, oh my God, look at all the runs they're finally scoring. They're winning all these games because they're scoring however many runs, nine, 10, 15 runs. And the starting pitching is every game. Six innings, yeah. one run, five innings, two runs, seven innings, one run. It's unbelievable how deep they are as a starting rotation. Yeah. Did I tell the spring training Gary Cooper story yet? Did I do that on this podcast? I don't recall if I did a few podcasts ago. Did I do that? I'm not sure. I, I honestly right. can't recall. You can tell All right. it again. All right. So, so I, I, may, I, may have, I may have told this story on a previous podcast. Let me use that <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's time to catch everybody up. I, I, think, I, I think I may have. So, and, I, and I tweeted this out the other day. So uh, the, the story that I heard, and again, no one will confirm. Maybe somebody will deny. Actually, I don't think anybody's denied me on this story yet. I don't know. We'll see. So what happened in spring training was right before they decided who was going to make the opening day roster, meaning the Marlins management. Okay, so this is Mike Hill. This is Gary Denbo. This is Dan Greenlee. This is Derek Jeter. Who did I miss? Brian Chatton. These are all yeah. of the people that are at the highest level in terms of making decisions for the Marlins. So we're, we're at the last week of spring training, and the Marlins are determining who's going to you know, be on the team. And this is how things are done. This is no big surprise. They're all in Jupiter. And they, they sit around, and, and they're in a conference room somewhere, I guess. I'm, I'm not sure exactly how that is. And, and basically what's happening is, is they're, they're determining all the players who, you know, this is who we think we should carry and, and and everyone is having a voice. Everyone has an opinion from what I understand in that room, more opinions than ever are being heard by the way, in the Marlins organization as well. Uh, uh, Marlins CEO, Derek Jeter wants everybody's opinion. Uh, more people that have ever been heard from are, are having an opinion on this, which is different. That's a, probably a story for another podcast. So they get to the end of the line and, and the, really the biggest debate internally as to who should be put on the opening day roster is between uh, Pete O'Brien and Garrett Cooper, okay? And, and really, it is divided. It is, and I don't know who was on what side. I'm not really, that I'm not completely clear on. But the story that I was kind of 
conveyed to me is that they're basically in such a gridlock over this one player that uh, Derek Jeter is is really like like trying to crowdsource this and and ask everybody is, is to make the most educated possible decision on it. And it comes to the end of the discussion, Jeremy, and after whatever discussion they had, they're still gridlocked. Like they can't, they, they can't make that final decision. That's how close it was. And inevitably, uh, Jeter was the tiebreaker. That's, that's the story that I heard. And it was Jeter's choice at that point to put uh, Cooper on the opening day roster and put O'Brien into the minor leagues. Now, uh, and, and you may remember, by the way, that day, O'Brien was right. in the starting in the lineup, lineup for the Marlins. Yeah. I mean, that's rare to have a player pulled from a starting lineup in a spring training game to go to the minors. It doesn't happen a lot. So it just shows you kind of the thinking as to uh, the quick shift or the quick change as to what happened there. So Cooper goes in there. We know the rest. Look, obviously, he got hurt. He didn't play for a while. And, and it took him some time to, to get ready and to be what he is right now. There is no doubt. But just from a scouting and analysis standpoint, I think anytime you mention Derek Jeter's name, there's always going to be somebody who has something to say. You know, it's like right. there's those comments on Twitter or everywhere else. But this was the right decision, inevitably, in my right. opinion. It was. It, it, they identified Cooper as being ahead of O'Brien. He got hit. O'Brien's second time, what, he got hit in the hand? I mean, that's yeah. Not, got hit in the hand last year, too. I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah. So, so that's a player that the right decision was made on. That's not to say they make every right decision. I mean, we've seen some decisions that they've had of players that they've used so far this year that have not worked out and haven't been close. Mm -hmm. But I just thought it was an interesting story for those people to kind of take you inside the room when it happens. (laughs) Hey, the Hamilton. Hamilton (laughs) reference. I I will say, uh, you definitely told that story on this podcast. The day after. No, no, no. What's good, though? Here's what I tell it again next week. As the producer on this side of things, I think it's great to recap this story now because the uh, with hindsight, right? Because we told the story the day after that decision was made. When O'Brien was pulled out of the lineup, Cooper was in the lineup. He's going to be on the big league roster. Here we are. We'll see what happens. Well, now, a couple of months later, we're seeing the direct impact of that result of that move. And so to be in that position and to see Cooper succeeding and to see a guy that they signed outright this offseason, we talked about last week in terms of Harold Ramirez and, and, and being able to bring him into the organization and seeing him succeed and seeing Jorge Alfaro hitting as one of the top hitting catchers in the league over the last month. I mean, it's 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 nice to see things coming together at the major league level and not just having to rely on the positivity at the minor league level to get us through this season. That, that's for sure. And by the way, ease up a little on the Alfaro Real Muto stuff there. Okay? Hey, I'm not, I'm not, Take I'm not, it easy. I'm not making Take any sort easy, of comparison. Okay? Listen, <laughs> listen, everyone knows you got to take you don't do not slander JT Real Muto in any way. I didn't slander on, anybody on, on, on this podcast and any, anybody that's with me, you guys need to slow your roll there a little bit. Look at, look at the defensive numbers for real Muto this season. Okay? Uh-huh. One of the best catchers, one of the best players that I've ever dealt with uh, in, in covering baseball in 20 years. Let's not, let's, let's slow down here a little bit and look at the numbers at the end of the year. And then we'll, we'll go back and look nothing against Jorge. Okay. I'm, I'm not making it. I am a real Muto guy. 
there are no comparisons here. I'm just happy and optimistic about my power hitting that, catcher. That, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> but I still will remain a, a JT guy. As we should. And that's it. It's because it's my initials. I always um, will be. Any any final news and notes here uh, before we wrap up this episode? Uh, good, good goodness gracious. So much information in this one. We did. We had I think we I think we we pretty much covered it all. I don't have to go back to the draft. All my notes are, are scratched off here. <laughs> so I've hit on everything. I missed that one there. Yeah. But yeah, I think that I think next week we could have an interesting episode. I think next week could be interesting. I'm not sure yet, but I would stay tuned to the Swings and Mishes Twitter handle at Swings and Mishes or mine or Jeremy's. And and hopefully we will. But if not, you know, and I don't want to give too much away, but if not, maybe you like this episode. Jeremy will come back with me next week. We'll rock and roll and, and keep this thing going. But I just think inevitably you're, you're, we're at the peak positivity moment of the 2019 season with the Marlins, given the way they're playing, given the way the draft is going. Mm-hmm. I think that there's a lot to be excited about. And I think that now it's kind of up to the fans a little bit here. Like it really is. Like I'm not one of those guys that says, go buy a ticket and go see the Marlins because that's not who I am. I'm not Mr. Homer, but I am curious to see if people are going to say, wow, this team really has earned my money over the last three weeks and they had a good draft too. I, I may want to go out and see if, you know, what this is happening and what this is all about. And they do play a very good team in Atlanta this weekend and the Cardinals Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. So I'm excited to see it, Jeremy. Hope you have a great weekend. And yeah, as always, uh, don't, 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 uh, don't forget about me when you become yeah. a big star. Oh yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Greg. I appreciate that. Well, and if you guys, uh, if you oh, guys I'll be on CBS four again, Sunday night, uh, with Mike Cuno. How about that? I'm back a second time. I must've, I must've left something <laughs> in the studio for them to ask me. Either I left something in the, a pen on the table that they're asking me to come back again, or I did a good job. One of the two. I'm, I think it's probably the pen. I think I left the pen there. So I'll be back there. Also my new show on uh, FNTSY radio. You can listen every day from noon to two Eastern. I'm on there. If you like fantasy baseball. Yeah, and you can if you go to our Twitter handle at Swings and Mishes, I will send out all of that information for everybody. Uh, excited to watch you on CBS Four again, again. Uh, yeah, once again. And uh, on on my level, the only message to everyone that I want to say is, uh, if you are at the park this weekend, let us know because I I, I would love to. You're get gonna to go down to the stands and take pictures with people. Yeah, yeah, sure. All right, you just heard it there. You heard it. You heard it. <laughs> Jeremy just said it. He's gonna go down and take pictures. If anyone wants a picture with me. I would be mind blown. So if that's a thing, I will go. absolutely do that. Maybe um, we'll get you and Marlon's Macho Man together. Marlon's Macho Man. Uh, what an experience it is to meet that guy. If he's at the ballpark, you guys have to go. Uh, <laughs> but but everyone, uh, thank you for listening. Again, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, be sure to subscribe to the pod on Spotify, on uh, Apple Podcasts, whatever your podcast provider is. And uh, like Craig said, stay tuned, folks. <laughs>